0: welcome to episode six of season nine transforming professional learning today we'll be discussing some professional learning practices to help answer the question what have you learned this year about equity and belonging and professional learning that has transformed your thinking i'm laura and i'm joined by my co-host Catherine. hello and we are so excited to be joined today by another one of our region 10 colleagues veronica clack Welcome, Veronica. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yay. We're so happy you're here. Um, We'll get to know you more in a bit, but first we like to begin with a story. So, Veronica, tell us your story and talk to us about what you've learned this year about equity and belonging that has transformed your thinking.
1: Well, so many things come to mind because. It's not just that it was such a long pandemic, but also uh, equity and belonging have always been important themes in my life, even before I knew what these terms really even meant. So, when things started to shut down back in March of 2020, I was in the second semester of my superintendency certification program. And not because I necessarily have some wild ambition to become a superintendent, by the way. (laughs) It was more like this was just a very cost effective and convenient way to earn uh, 12 credit hours towards my doctorate, which was my ultimate goal. So I took advantage of, of that being right there at the service center, didn't have to go anywhere. And mostly I just, I came out of it being very thankful for the amazing people in that cohort and for the professors as well. We uh, we still have group chat going and big plans for some sort of reunion since we got interrupted in our last in our last few weeks of class and talk about an amazing group of diverse school leaders. I met so many advocates and allies uh, that were ready for discussing how can we take action to address issues surrounding equity and belonging in education. And one uh, immensely valuable ally I learned about was uh, professor, Dr. Uh, Jeannie Stone, the superintendent of Richardson ISD. She has her own amazing story to share, but she took on the immense task of, uh, and I quote, dismantling systemic racism in her schools. So it was very inspiring and really eye-opening listening and learning from her because she doesn't hold back about what it's like navigating the political waters. Uh, One thing I'll never forget is that she would always encourage us to grow a thick skin if we wanted a role like the superintendency or any kind of leadership role where we are taking initiative to try and be a voice and be an advocate for minoritized populations of students because she, she learned in doing what's best for all students, it, it turns out to be really heavy work with a lot of implications. People will disagree with you. They'll verbally attack your integrity. They'll throw accusations around everything. It, it just gets very messy overall because uh, you're really targeting some deeply held core beliefs and even some subliminal biases that people hang on to and I, uh, I'm very interested in that side of it as well. It's almost like you, you have to take an interdisciplinary approach if you're really gonna get behind like why people behave the way they behave in, in light of trying to, to change some things. And all of that just so you have some context about where I'm coming from because a couple of those same colleagues from our superintendency certification cohort We continued working on our doctorates with UNT after the superintendency program ended. And our very first class was cultural foundations. So I got to collaborate with a dear friend and colleague of mine, Irene Aguilar at IL Texas. And we did a sort of like a mini study. Um, We wanted to explore the impact of culturally responsive teacher training and what it would have on one of her campuses out in East Fort Worth so i got to present uh, my culturally responsive teaching series to the new teachers the coaches and admins at one of her campus and we supported the implementation of lesson activities that would set the stage for teachers and students to kind of develop like a healthy sense of identity and be able to share about themselves and their cultures in a positive way then we interviewed the new teachers and their admin and we got some survey input from the students and our findings were were really um, just that this the self identity is such an important and recurring theme. Because when students feel like they can't fully express themselves or that part of their identity is like not valued. Same thing with teachers. Mm. They um, they feel as if they don't belong. So you talk about equity and belonging. Well, if only a certain culture is being promoted at a school, even if it's unintentionally, that's the dominant culture, then other people who may not associate or not relate, they feel left out. What happens is achievement goes down. So what happens is that sometimes there's misunderstandings and certain populations of students get Accused of misbehaving, even if that wasn't their intention and they get reputations for being the ones that misbehave so uh, we found all of that to really align with the bigger actual research that was coming out of what we were reading in our lit review and. It's 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 so huge because if you think about that, it's almost like a domino effect. If they feel like they don't belong, they don't develop a self uh, a sense of purpose or self efficacy. So everything that you know, if you incorporate the psychological side of things, you you of course you don't do as well. And um, all of that bias that happens with teachers developing perspectives about certain students contributes. It it compounds that effect. How it ended? Um, The thing that stood out to me is that professional learning for educators about DEIB uh, specifically and and culturally responsive pedagogy, more often than not, it's kind of designed um, and delivered with the assumption that uh, this information is just for our white educators or, or those who identify with the dominant American culture And it kind of ignores the diversity that exists within our educator workforce as it is today. So there's um, other research that's pointing to the value of representation in educator staffing that mirrors the student diversity, but that's why it's because um, a lot of these teachers that um, can relate to their students tend to uh, help with the high attrition rates that um, we see at some schools that it helps with student retention, it helps with community involvement, just because students feel that connection, they feel understood. And even so, we see a lot of those teachers leaving the profession because they don't feel supported. And so I I narrowed down uh, my list for proposing my research question And really thinking about expanding the social capital of our diverse educators through inclusive professional development, some kind of framework that acknowledges them as individuals and is more responsive to their unique needs. Myself included, being a, a bilingual teacher for many, many years, I can tell you that sometimes that professional development, it didn't resonate. I couldn't connect and a lot of times i was made to feel like an island unto myself.
2: Hmm. Well, Veronica there is so much to unpack what all you shared and thank you for telling the story. What a powerful year you've had and I guess starting back at the beginning, the first thing that's so reassuring to hear is that there are so many educators who are growing as leaders that are um, valuing this diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging work. So when you said that your cohort was such a diverse, you know, active group that are dedicated to this, that's so exciting to hear, I think, for educators that that leadership will take us to the next level, I think. So that was one of the first things
1: that excited me about about your story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one misconception that comes out with the concept of diversity sometimes is people make assumptions that we're all quote unquote the same, maybe because of something like skin color or maybe because of something like gender. But the fact of the matter is when you really get to know people, You find out their backgrounds, the places that they come from, the things that really build up their culture is so different. And yet it's like an intricate web where there's so many other connections to people that may may look totally different from them. And you may have thought were totally different from them, but yet they have a lot of of commonality.
2: Well, and very interesting to hear the importance of identity. and, And so we can dig into that a little bit more too. But before we chat more about equity and belonging, let's hear a little bit more about you yourself and just tell us about your background. And then since we're reflecting back on our pandemic experiences, if you have a pandemic hobby or if you had some weird or cool pandemic purchase, we like
1: hearing about that as well. (laughs) Okay. Okay. A little bit about me. Um, is I have been with Region 10 for about three years now, and actually May 11th, is that today? Oh my gosh, it's my anniversary, how about that? We started on the same day. (laughs) Uh, We are Region 10 bros, so happy Region 10 anniversary. Thank you, thank you so much. Yes, with um, (laughs) uh, bilingual ESL um, program. Uh, consultant is my specialty and but i've always been probably because of my job training one of those um uh, jack of all trades master of none kind of people so <laughs> so anytime i hear elar i'm like ooh, elar friends that's my passion mm-hmm. um yet um also math um they made me a fourth grade math teacher for a few years And what I learned there is that I have a really great way of connecting with kids who are terrible at math, because that was me. And I'm an adult (laughs) who's mediocre at math, but has a growth mindset about it. Mm. Um, I was very excited that I did so well in statistics this past semester. Um, And then my niece broke it to me. She's like, statistics isn't real math. It's like creative (laughs) math. And (laughs) And I wanted to cry. I'm like, I got an A in a math class. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm culturally, I'm Mexican American. I was born here in Dallas, uh, but my parents are from Mexico. So um, yeah, I grew up all around this area, Garland actually. And then I got to go back to teach there um, as uh, a younger woman. and. I was bilingual, a bilingual classroom teacher for many years, and then I got to work with intervention, which opened me up to um, grade levels K through five, um, and I got to work with students that were not necessarily just gen ed, that were monolingual, or ESL students who didn't necessarily speak Spanish as their other language. I, and, you know, so it really broadened my, my own world coming from um, where I came from. And before that, I, I worked in Dallas ISD in a dual language bilingual program and always in the upper grades fourth and fifth as a classroom teacher. So that's, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Anything else you like to know, definitely tell me. Let's hear your pandemic purchase or weird hobby. Okay. <laughs> oh, so many. Okay. <laughs> I I ended up with two cats, um, oh. the, the Menendez brothers, actually. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> My daughter is very interested in like the true crime story. So that was the Netflix special that we had just finished watching. And so it's uh, Joseph Lyle and Eric Galen. That's mm-hmm. what I learned their full names are. Just two troubled kittens found abandoned in a box in front of a Home Depot. That's this is called- perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. They are brothers. So, yeah, no, as for hobbies, uh, no real hobbies to speak of that came up new during the pandemic. I I try to keep up with the ones I had. Um, It brought us closer as a family, um, made us realize, you know, how truly valuable family is and just forced us to slow down. Mm. I I got a meditation cushion for Christmas, Mm. so I got better at that. And uh, just, yeah, especially with the freeze, that freeze was crazy. I was like, well, let's see. I don't have internet. I don't don't have. I'm like, wow, okay, it's time to just sit and be at peace and cook. I cooked a lot. And that's, yeah, so refinement of hobbies.
0: I love this. I love this. And it also sounds like you uh, continue to grow your brain and work through your schooling and um, working toward your doctorate. So way to way to keep busy and slow down, but also do lots of productive things in an incredibly wild year. So. We're so, so glad that you're here and want to really talk more with you about this idea of equity and belonging and really how it relates to transforming our thinking about professional learning and just going beyond what we've always done. You mentioned some thinking about professional learning when you were giving us your intro story and you also alluded to your dissertation and your, your real, focus on this topic and so I would really love to hear your thinking on how those relate maybe a little bit more about that dissertation and really what that professional learning piece looks like for you now and um in the future too
1: yeah yeah I think um More and more, I just I'm realizing the implications for myself and other educators uh, as advocates and it's interesting to say, you know, I used to have this very student focus, but but it starts with you. So sometimes you have to advocate for yourself and also um, for your culturally and linguistically diverse students. And I think representation and voice are really important. I, I got the best compliment the other day from my supervisor, Michael Mil- Milburn. <laughs> he's, he's like, "You are sassy," and I mean that. I mean that in a positive way. And I'm like, "Yeah, you, you're right. I am. I will say what I need to say." And I, what I, what I'm learning about myself is that I probably need some. Really good uh, colleagues to bounce ideas off to be able to deliver this in a tactful and more impactful way. That's what's really important to me. Is I take a, a good look in the mirror about who I am and where I'm coming from. It's just the attitude that I've had to cultivate. Number one, being a woman, and then being a latine Latino woman, Latina woman, I don't know the X, I don't understand that. I'm learning about that. But uh, that you know, identifying as that way um, has really been important to me because it, I did grow up in a way where it was kind of like part of my, like I was talking about earlier, part of my identity was not something that had value. so I kind of had to put that aside to be able to fit in and prove myself and be accepted. So in doing that, I uh, found myself again whenever I got to become a bilingual teacher and fall in love with it because then I met kids that were my students that I could really identify with. That I said, "Oh my gosh, it was like looking into a mirror." You, you guys know what you know what I mean. What I went mm-hmm. through as a kid, and I see you. I see you for who you are. Uh, dual language uh, programming is inherently culturally responsive because you are taking their primary language, uh, whether it's a Spanish, they have Vietnamese dual language programs now, and you're elevating that up to the level where English is subliminally the most important language, even in the way we refer to students as quote-unquote English learners, Mm -hmm. where really they're emergent bilinguals, right, or they are fully bilingual at some um, point in time. And when I came to terms with that and saw that I could just make such a huge impact in them personally by giving them voice and expression and helping them value where they they come from, that's where that idea of identity really solidified itself in me and how much more of a whole person you can be when you embrace all those aspects of you. Um, in terms of like my teaching philosophy, what I get really excited about is that there's already so many great things that educators are doing. And it's more like connecting the dots to how is that culturally responsive rather than having to throw more on top. Because anytime you're doing something that involves um, giving students voice and choice and uh, building autonomy and helping them build sense of identity uh, as long as you're opening that up to that cultural side of them, then you're being responsive, you're being responsive to their needs because that's what they need. They need unbiased teachers to look at them and say you can do this, you are capable, you are amazing. you have, are bringing so much to the table already. Um, and I, I don't see you through this lens of oh my gosh, you don't speak English. What, what are we gonna do? <laughs> you poor thing, let's set the bar um, at, at the very bottom. And that's where you start getting that pedagogy of poverty. Oh, my, my kids can't, these kids can't. We have to go back to basics. We, we don't, we're not able to give them all these options because they don't know how to choose. Um, and then that, that really stifles their learning. So yeah, that's, that's basically where I am with it. I think it's really, really incredible to see that that's the big piece that's missing. How can we bridge those things that are already best practices and help people see that they truly are culturally responsive and that you shouldn't limit them or, or dismiss them as best practices, but not for these kids, right? That's what sort of breaks my heart. In terms of professional learning, like what do I want to teach teachers? And same thing. I don't wanna come into a session with a mindset that, oh man, these are my bilingual teachers. They have a whole set of different problems and limit them to, no, I wanna open doors for them and say, of course, you know, um, learning on location is for you. Experiential learning is gonna make your bilingual students flourish. Like, please come, please come join us. So that's where I I see my role at the service center. That's what what I'm envisioning like some kind of framework that truly integrates what we know about how the brain learns and knocks down the biases that may be preventing people from accepting that this really is for all students.
0: Veronica, you're giving me so many things to think about here. Uh, I feel uncharacteristically silent. Usually I jump in and have 500 things to say. Now I just have 500 things going in my mind. There's something that you said, though, that really resonated with me. And I think you said it far better than how I'm about to say it but basically you you honed in on that connection and so i am hearing echoes in the words that you're saying in some of our previous conversations on other episodes in this podcast series thinking about connecting all of our learners and all of our lenses if you will you said something like equity isn't one other thing to do on top of the other things it's just part of it and so you know you mentioned Choice, And we've had lots of conversations about choice and differentiation and that belonging piece, getting to know our students and our participants as people focusing on that social, emotional learning piece and and really just being intentional to design for the myriad of people that are represented in our classrooms, in our trainings and in our jobs and that um, that makes me excited because sometimes I feel overwhelmed that there are so many things that I'm not doing or not doing enough or well enough. I think 2020 has been a huge learning year for me to help me realize oh you thought that you knew some things, but hey, you don't really know some things. So I feel that 2020 has been a huge learning experience for me. And um, it's really great to hear you kind of put all of these swirling thoughts together and say what you said, again, better than the way I'm phrasing it, but the just all of this is connected and best practices for including everyone. And the way that we all think in different ways is, is really powerful. So thanks for, for
1: putting that out there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the entire context for uh, authentic Mm -hmm. learning, Um, you know, culturally responsive teaching, social emotional learning. They're not fuzzy extras. They should Mm -hmm. be integrated, fundamental to the class, not a, a thing you do at first five minutes to get people amped up and hyped up it's the same way with with growth mindsets you know we're not trying to just look at a child and say oh you know maybe what they need is just for us to sit down and have a talk with them about expectations or um or about trying harder it's it's like no the the whole thing is getting them to talk getting them to share about themselves so that they get excited and again connect to to the learning
2: Well, I'm like Laura and I have I've been trying to take notes to capture all of these things that you've shared. And one thing that I was drawn to is talking about looking in a mirror and representation. And I know we've heard a lot for classrooms like we want our literature to represent all of the students in our classes. And the thing I'm thinking about for professional learning is How can we have that representation in our um, professional learning sessions? So thinking about some things that, another word, Laura, that we've mentioned several times is intention, Mm -hmm. being so intentional about, for instance, um, panelists at a conference. How do we make sure that our panelists or our keynote speaker represents every person that we'll see in the audience? And, you know, when you brought up your superintendent class, I think about that too. If we wanted a superintendent to speak, it may take me an extra five seconds, but I could find a woman superintendent. I could find a superintendent of color. I can find a superintendent with a different identity and making sure that our audience, our educators see themselves. And so I, I really have been thinking a lot this,
1: the last couple of years about that representation piece. Very cool. Very uh, that I love hearing that because yeah, it's important and it's um, it's just as, as valuable as getting those participants to really feel that they own the learning that it's it's not um, something that's being fed to them but it's up to them. That's the big aha that I've had with, with culturally responsive teaching and my own journey to uncovering how not just how I can be the advocate, but how can I grow other people to be advocates, to to speak up and take charge, so to speak.
0: All of this is making me think about some just basic definitions, and we will be sure to link this in the show notes, but I first heard this party planning analogy from Catrice Kite, who breaks down this uh, acronym we've been throwing out, DEIB, and so thinking about planning a party. And so when we're thinking about diversity, that is you've been invited to that party. And then when we think about that belonging piece, and I'm hearing you say this a lot today, Veronica, um, if we're sticking with that party analogy, you feel welcome and comfortable going to the party. And then she breaks it down further to say inclusion looks like you've been asked to help plan that party. And then finally, equity looks like redefining what the party entails and who has the power to plan those parties. And so those just kind of simple definitions and simple analogy with a party planning piece really resonated with me when I first heard it. And so I keep thinking about this uh, go-to party analogy as I'm hearing you and the work that you're diving into as well.
1: I love the idea of a party analogy because that is such a big piece uh, for sub kids just to feel the excitement of collaborating. That's the idea. I, I want it to be, have like a party vibe when we get together to do <laughs> professional learning. It, it should be that way all the time. So we're going to run with that. I
2: love it. Okay. So we, we've we heard um, our DEI B definition. Thank you, Laura, for, for bringing that. We got to hear wonderful stories and examples from you, Veronica. And Let's try to narrow these resources and takeaways down to one. So if you had one thing to share about equity and belonging, as we think about transforming professional learning, what would it be? And Veronica is our guest. You can go
1: first. <laughs> so much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, when I think about resources, I think about, you know, opportunities to learn. And, you know, there's no one size fits all. So if I have to name something that I've been um, using lately that I've been enjoying, um, it's got to be the uncomfortable conversations with the black man. Mm -hmm. Um, What's cool about it is, you know, you can watch the 15 minute episodes or videos or just listen to it. Um, actually, I think he recently came out, or is about to come out, with a children's book, so you can read the book too. So, and uh, Im- Emmanuel a- Acho—I hope I'm saying his mm-hmm. last name right—he's um, a Nigerian American former, former, sorry, NFL linebacker who uh, later became a sports analyst, and now he just decided to do this. Um, Genuinely, just wants to try and mend the racial uh, divide in in our country. Um, I know Brene Brown, um, is, has had him on one of her, uh, podcasts, who's also brilliant to listen to, but yeah, the, the thing is just like people just find what resonates with you. Oh, that's a great share. That is (laughs) okay. Laura, what about
0: you? What do you have to share? Okay. Well, I am, as ever, uh, overwhelmed by the great number of resources that are available. And as I was trying to choose one, I was thinking that I might need to re-listen to some of our previous conversations about good and concise curation. (laughs) But I'm not cheating. I'm only giving one resource today. Um, If I had to choose one, I think I will share the site Learning for Justice. They are formerly Teaching Tolerance, and they have continue to be a robust go-to site for learning about a variety of topics, both on the educator side to grow and learn ourselves, as well as having several good, relevant classroom resources for all grade levels to share and use with students. So
2: I I I agree with that one, Laura, too. So mine is the idea of use of use of names and the importance of calling people by their name and correctly pronouncing their name and. I have been part of a couple of sessions this year. One was with Catrice, and she sent us a pre form to complete that said, you know, what is your name? How do you pronounce your name? Um, What is your identity? And it was, I think she must have had that spreadsheet of pronunciations open during our sessions because she called using the correct names every single time. And in our Zoom world, I just feel so special when someone call a presenter calls my name. And I and I just think about the importance of that little element of including others by just the importance of names. And I just love the way Catrice had that available and that she offered that. So that's my resources, just making sure that we use names and that we pronounce the names correctly.
0: Absolutely. That, That is such a small tweak that is so important. And again, really just makes that belonging feeling feel authentic. So awesome, awesome share. So we like to wrap up our conversations with each of us sharing a reflection using the same stem, which is, I used to think blank, but now I think blank. Today, about equity and belonging and professional learning. So, again, Veronica, we will have you go first. Give us your reflection and sentence stem.
1: Oh, okay. I used to think equity and belonging was just a matter of helping disadvantaged and marginalized people. But now I think it's a mindset that's going to help make our diversity really valuable. (laughs) Mm, Nice. Katherine, what about
2: you? So mine is close to Veronica's. I used to think the equity and belonging work was just for specifically organizations or just for classrooms. But now I think that this needs to be embedded in professional learning and everything that we do.
0: Love it. Well, I am continuing a really similar train of thought here. I used to think that the idea of equity and belonging required another and separate lens to think through, but now I realize it's the main lens that focuses all the work we do. Yes.
2: All right. So Veronica, what a great conversation this has been. Thank you guys, yes, I enjoyed it. Okay, so before we wrap up, let's just summarize some of our key points from the conversation. And really, Laura, I think you are I used to think is one of the biggest points that we are saying, and I heard several times that this is not an add-on, this is not something separate, but it has to be, Veronica, you said connecting the dots. It has to be part of every single thing that we do and embedded in all that we do. So that was one of my big
0: takeaways from today. Absolutely. So I will add something from the beginning of our conversation, just really thinking about the importance of working together and alongside others to have those allies who are working together to have this lens be the main lens and the focus lens and go through this hard work together. And so I was really inspired thinking about your cohort and all of the work that you're doing and um, bringing, bringing to everyone you talk to and, and touch. And so just maybe just the, the branch effect that happens when you have those good conversations and really start doing the work and how it really is just part of everything and now I'm hearing myself say the same point that you just did Catherine that it's all connected it must be a good takeaway if I keep coming back to it it is
2: (laughs) well and then the last takeaway that we have repeated in most of our episodes is the importance of choice and Mm -hmm. providing choice for professional learning which will hopefully lead to providing choice for students and how that um, empowers all of us is when we have that choice available Okay, so thanks again, Veronica, for your insight and for helping us think about equity and belonging and for joining us today. If you would like others to connect with you, how may, how may people find you?
1: I have a Twitter handle um, and it is at E as in elephant, B as in Veronica, Moreno, my maiden name, M-O-R-E-N-O more no and, uh, yeah so please reach out okay
2: and then we will also link your email address in our show notes so i'm so excited about the potential of continued transformation to come thank y'all so
0: much absolutely so as we close today we want to share the words from john o'donohue and his blessing for spaces that has helped to refocus our own thinking and shape some of our planning processes. He says, may this be a safe place full of understanding and acceptance where you can be as you are without the need of any mask or pretense or image. And I think this beautifully encompasses this idea of belonging, and I hope to both be a part of and help foster spaces like these. Let's strive
2: to let go, create new, and reimagine. Let's transform.